This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. ER Vet is brought to you by Heroes for Healthy Pets. We're passionate about your pet's health. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about something serious, rabies, and Dr. Garrett Pactinger, who's a fellow emergency critical care specialist, will be discussing this with us. We'll be right back after these messages. Tired of wasting money on giant bags, boxes, and jugs of litter that don't last? Switch to World's Best Cat Litter, the only litter that lets you use less and get more. World's Best Cat Litter uses the concentrated power of corn to deliver outstanding odor control and easy cleanup. It's lightweight, 99% dust-free, and pet, people, and planet-friendly. It's even flushable. Make the switch to World's Best Cat Litter and save $2. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Really excited to have Dr. Garrett Packinger, who's a board certified emergency critical care veterinary specialist. And he is a criticalist at the Veterinary Specialty and Emergency Center in Pennsylvania. Dr. Garrett Packinger, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I know rabies isn't that common in North America, but it's something that a lot of veterinarians are always harping on about vaccination. First of all, what is it and why do we care as veterinary professionals? That's a great question. And I agree. We don't see it that often, but I think that's because we have very good vaccination protocols in place. And unfortunately, it can be a fatal virus without a cure. And so going back to your question, what is it? It's a very specific virus. In fact, if you want to know the specifics of it, it's a rhabdovirus. And it is a fatal disease. But the good news is that it's a preventable viral disease. It's, as you were saying, is something that we don't see. And again, because we have such great vaccine protocols in place, that's why in the news every once in a while, we see somebody get sick or somebody passes away from it because they don't understand a lot about the virus. They don't understand where they can get it, how serious it is, and unfortunately getting treated for it before it gets too late. And the rabies virus is one that can infect almost any mammal. It is a virus that shed in the saliva, and typically it's transmitted by bite wounds. It is something that we don't really care as much about, for example, the local wound itself. But as it spreads and how it spreads is it attacks the nervous system. So it sort of migrates up the nerves into the brain. And there have been reports of you know, thousands, up to 35,000 or more people dying each year 
for rabies. In the United States, it's much lower. It's usually less than 10 people a year die from rabies. Again, though, that's because we have such a a good vaccine protocol in place for our pets, of course, and and the news is out there. So if we are to get bitten by a bat or another mammal, for example, a post-exposure treatment, so getting to your physician or getting to the hospital right away is what we advise that you do. If you want to know what to look out for as far as who we're going to get this from, in the United States, rabies is most commonly found in skunks, raccoons, foxes, coyotes, and of course, bats. And that's why it's very important that we make sure that we are aware of this. So if there's any exposure to this, especially a bat flying around in your house, that we seek advice from our physician or local ER. You know, it's so sad. There was actually a case that was in January of this year where a six-year-old boy from Florida actually died from rabies after a bat scratch. And the frustrating thing was the father had discovered a bat that was in a bucket and he wasn't aware that his child had touched it. And he specifically told his child not to touch it. And unfortunately, you know, while the child didn't initially show signs, he then started hallucinating. And by that time he actually presented to the hospital, it was too late. And I think the important thing to reiterate is rabies is so rare in North America, but it is almost a hundred percent fatal. And that's why we as veterinarians are always harping on the importance of making sure your pet, your dog, your cat, your horse is up to date on rabies. What do we do in terms of wildlife exposure? What do educate pet owners on if they do find a bat or a squirrel or an animal in the house? Great question. And so going back to one point here, the unfortunate thing is that diagnosing rabies is pretty challenging. And unfortunately, there's no good test If we're talking about wildlife, for example, or even our pets or ourselves, there's no great test to diagnose rabies if the pet, for example, if the wildlife, for example, is alive. Unfortunately, there's not a blood test or a fecal test, common tests that veterinarians run on most animals to check for health. Rabies can't be diagnosed that way. There's no body change, no specific imaging study, an x-ray, for example, that can determine if an animal or person, for that matter, has been exposed to the virus. Unfortunately, the only real way to diagnose rabies is to examine brain tissue. And of course, we don't like to do that, get a biopsy or get a portion of the brain if the pet or the person is alive. So unfortunately, what that really means in simple English is testing can really only be done after the animal has passed away. So Going back to your question, Justine, what do we do if there's exposure? The first thing to do is to contact your physician if you've been exposed or if you feel like your pet has been exposed to contact your veterinarian. If the wildlife bat or skunk, for example, is available, has passed away and is safely able to be collected, that's something I would take to your local veterinarian. They can submit that pet or that wildlife, for example, to the local state government organization to test for rabies. If it's not safe to collect that, for example, the bat is still alive, we don't want to put you in harm's way. So I would not risk yourself getting bitten or exposed to rabies. But if you can, if it's safe to do so, bring that 
wildlife specimen to your veterinarian to be sent to the state lab for evaluation. If there is a concern of exposure for your pet, your veterinarian will talk to you about the pros and cons of prophylactic vaccination. And if you think you've been exposed, your physician will talk to you as well about post-exposure treatment for rabies, again, because it can't be deadly without an antidote and without a treatment once clinical signs start. So the sooner you seek or your pet seeks medical care, the better. When in doubt, you always want to check with your state too. And the main reason why is I'm based out of Minnesota. And so if a dog or cat is unvaccinated or if they're even one or two days over the rabies certificate, in other words, they're not up to date, then they do need to be quarantined. And that's very, very different from some states where if the pet is not up to date or if they bit someone, they may actually have to be euthanized. And again, the frustrating thing is because the tissue that they need to sample is brain tissue. And so unfortunately, it oftentimes does result in euthanasia. I think the important thing that we remember is, thankfully in North America, it is relatively rare for us to have people die from rabies. But the frustrating thing is about 90% of the deaths in the world are actually from Africa and India. And so 90% of the human exposures to rabies and 99% of the deaths are worldwide. And while they're not commonly from North America, it definitely does happen. I'm actually really, really passionate about educating owners about this because as you're aware, a lot of people say, you know, I don't want to vaccinate my cat or dog or indoor only. Well, a lot of these exposures are accidental. When a bat flies into the chimney, which is one of the reasons why you want a cap on top of your chimney, by the way. And so even indoor pets can be exposed. Now, I have some patients that have underlying medical conditions where I don't actually want them to be vaccinated every year for things like distemper or, you know, panleukopenia, as long as they're not immunocompromised. But they always have to be up to date on their rabies. So this is so important. Again, really important that you talk to your veterinarian about this. Again, it is 100% fatal, but it's 100% preventable with vaccination. Now, Dr. Pachtinger, what are some of the clinical signs that dogs, cats, or even humans may show with rabies? And in general, we break up the signs of disease into three distinct phases. And it really depends on where they are bitten and how quick the transition is. But the first phase that we think of is what's called the prodromal phase. And these signs may be vague, things like behavioral changes. They're just not acting right. At times, their pupils may be more dilated than you would expect. They seem a little bit jittery. The medical term would be hyperesthetic. And so you touch them and they kind of flinch and maybe even a fever. These signs that I'm talking about now are early and can last anywhere from one to three days or so. And you would see why many people can miss the illness signs because it's vague. They're just not acting right. They're a little bit off. But it's not like that furious form of rabies that we see on TV where they're drooling and crazy. These are just kind of vague clinical signs. A second phase that we see that somewhat overlaps that prodromal phase that starts anywhere from one to seven days after exposure, it's what's called the excitative phase. And this phase has signs like exaggerated reactions to stimuli and so more of that hyperesthesia that I just spoke about. Their pupils, instead of being dilated in the prodromal phase, in this excitative phase, they have smaller pupils than normal. They may start to act with some aggression. They may start to drool. 
They may be ataxic, and ataxic is the big fancy medical term for looking drunk or wobbly when they walk, and even start to have tremor or seizure-like behavior. And again, that can happen anywhere from one to seven days after exposure. And then finally, we see what's called the paralytic or the dumb phase. And this is the final stage of rabies, usually when they're getting much more sick, and that can include progressive paralysis and prolapse of their third eyelids. And so paralysis, they're not walking around as much, and they have that third eyelid coming up from sort of the nose area, the medial aspect of their eyes. It looks like it's covering their eyes, that third eyelid. They may start doing those things that we see on TV or the movies, foaming at the mouth. They can't swallow or eat. They go over to the water bowl, for example, and they lap, 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 lap up the water, but it doesn't really change how much water is in the bowl because they can't actually swallow the water. They don't have a good swallowing reflex. Unfortunately, then they start to have some more neurologic clinical signs. It looks like they can't close their mouth. The jaw is dropped open. They start to have some breathing difficulty, and even that then will result in things like a coma or a death. And that can persist anywhere from two to four days after exposure. So we see there is an overlap of these phases, the prodromal phase, the excitation phase, and the paralytic or dumb phase. And again, that depends on where they are bitten, how quickly the virus transfers up the nerves into the brain, and therefore how quickly those bad clinical signs develop. Great information. Great information. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Dogosuds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Dogosud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Dogosuds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. It's not just a sneeze. It could be the pathway to disease. Your dog is at risk for contracting dog flu. That's why it's important to vaccinate your dog for dog flu. Get your dog vaccinated today. Visit dogflu.com for more information. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. We're interviewing Dr. Garrett Pachtinger on the importance of rabies disease. Again, this is a virus. It's totally preventable with vaccination, but unfortunately is one of the number one killers of people around the world. And so while we rarely see this in North America, unfortunately, once it develops, it is almost 100% fatal. Now, there are just a few cases that are reported where children have survived this, and it's actually called the Milwaukee Protocol, and that's because the first child that ever survived rabies ever 
was actually a little child who was put into a coma. And what they did with this, quote, Milwaukee protocol was to basically put her on a respirator, breathe for her, and basically ventilate her. And what they were trying to do was decrease the metabolism of her brain. So again, she was completely comatose. And so this was a medically induced coma to prevent the rabies from actually spreading. And so the important thing to remember is rabies mostly affects the central nervous system. And again, almost 100% fatal, but there have been reports of a few children surviving this with this protocol. Unfortunately, like I mentioned before, with that six-year-old boy who died in Florida, they did try the Milwaukee protocol and it did not work. And so even as loving parents, when we want to spare our children those post-exposure rabies vaccines, please keep in mind those vaccines or those post-exposure shots are really, really important because once a child or an animal, wildlife or pets show clinical signs, it is too late. This is also one of the reasons why I always tell people if a coyote or a raccoon is walking through your neighborhood and seems extra friendly and is coming up to you, please run away from it. And the main reason why is because when we see signs of inhibition, in other words, they're not scared of you, they oftentimes may have rabies. And so the inner veterinarian in me, whenever I see a raccoon on the street that's walking around, it's not scared of a person, I actually will call the police right away because I want to make sure that that potentially rabid animal is taken off the street. Now, Dr. Packninger, do you mind just talking about when we vaccinate for rabies, how often does a pet need to be vaccinated and what pets actually need to be vaccinated? And are there any side effects from the vaccine? Absolutely. The timing of the vaccination will depend on what vaccine specifically your veterinarian uses. For example, the common ones that we see are the one-year or three-year vaccines. Most veterinarians, in my experience, use the three-year rabies vaccine. So they will get vaccinated initially as puppies or kittens, for example, at around 16 weeks of age. They'll get boosted at one year of age, and then most often they'll get vaccinated every three years thereafter. I practice mostly on small animals, and so my experience is typically with cats, ferrets, and dogs. And they should be vaccinated as often as your veterinarian recommends, again, often every three years. If there is evidence or concern of exposure, your veterinarian, as long as they're up to date, will likely recommend a rabies booster depending on your specific county or state laws. And it's really important to remember, and again, check with your veterinarian or your state veterinarian, because oftentimes some states will require the first year vaccine, the first time they ever get the vaccine to be a one year, and the next year can be a three year, but if it's even one day overdue, then oftentimes you have to restart the one year vaccine. So when in doubt, you always want to make sure that your rabies certificate is up to date and that your pet does not become overdue on the rabies vaccine. The other point, Justine, that you were making before is that there are certain diseases that, for example, you and I would recommend potentially not getting the vaccine. There are some immune-mediated diseases, such as immune-mediated thrombocytopenia, a platelet problem, or an immune-mediated anemia, a red blood cell problem, where we worry that the side effects of vaccines may be more significant in those patients. Similar to what you and I get every couple of years, 
if there is a medical concern, rather than vaccinating, we can initially do a titer of the rabies vaccine to determine if the antibody level that we have in the bloodstream is sufficient for protection. So that is another option to consider if there's a medical condition or disease that would cause some increased concern about giving vaccines. With that said, vaccines in my opinion, are both very safe and very effective. You asked me earlier about what some common side effects are of vaccines. Typically, they're really, really safe with a very low incidence of side effects. Side effects, for example, could be some local irritation or redness at the site of injection. Sometimes a very self-limiting bump can appear right where the injection was given. Those are the typical clinical signs that we worry about. Even less common, we can have side effects such as itching, redness, or hives on the body. And then finally, I would say you can have patients that have an anaphylactic reaction. An anaphylactic reaction, if you think about, for example, the commercial where a child eats a peanut that they shouldn't or somebody gets stung by the bee and they have an EpiPen on them, that's something that typically happens within seconds to potentially minutes. Often before you even leave the veterinarian's office, there's a reaction where they have a drop in their blood pressure and pale gums and heart rate changes. That is very, very uncommon. I've personally only seen that once in approximately 15 years, so I don't worry too much about an anaphylactic reaction. If there are signs of illness that happens hours to days after injection, that's usually a delayed hypersensitivity reaction, is not typically life-threatening, and again, will have signs that vary from a local injection site reaction to itching and hives, maybe even a little bit of stomach upset. But out of all of the vaccines that are given day in, day out, all over the world, the incidence of a true vaccine concerning reaction is quite small, especially understanding for our rabies vaccine how important it is and how life-saving it can be. Great. It is so important. In fact, based on some recent studies, the incidence of reaction was extremely low from these rabies vaccines, less than 13 reports in 10,000 dogs. So again, very, very rare. If you're worried, absolutely talk to your veterinarian. But again, such an important vaccine because again, it's 100% fatal but 100% preventable by vaccine. So really important. Now, the last thing I wanted to mention was when someone finds a stray cat. And this happens all the time at the specialty clinic that I work at in St. Paul, Minneapolis. And it probably happens at your clinic too, where a good Samaritan will bring in a cat. And once in a while, these cats may actually present neurologic, where they look like they have a head tilt or they have abnormal pupils. And so really important that we realize, even as veterinary professionals, we should be wearing gloves and being really careful when we handle these guys because, again, while it's really, really rare, I have seen stray cats or stray pets that are brought in that end up having rabies. There were reports on the East Coast before of kittens that were up for adoption at a pet store that unfortunately had rabies and dozens of kids needed the post exposure vaccine series. So when in doubt, I always tell people if it's a stray, you do want to be very careful. You want to bring them to a veterinarian right away to get them evaluated, examined, and vaccinated. Dr. Pachtinger, thank you so much for this really important information. I also did want to mention a huge shout out. I know that Merck actually has donated over 2 million rabies vaccines to Africa and India. And it's part of what they call the AFIA 
Serengeti project or the Mission Rabies project. So for each vaccine that a veterinarian buys in North America, they donate one rabies vaccine to these locations. And the awesome thing about it is I know specifically in the Serengeti area of Tanzania, it has actually decreased rabies by 92%. So again, Unfortunately, almost 100 children a day die of rabies in other countries. And so really important that we help support this. I think it's so, so important because, again, this is 100% preventable. Dr. Packinger, thank you so much for taking the time to explain rabies to us. Such an important topic. Thank you for having me. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at Dr. Justine Lee on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time and we want to give a huge shout out and thank you to Dr. Garrett Packinger and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.